Are you ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> you got your earbuds? Yeah, I got them in, so should be good to go. So yeah. I got to ask you, because the podcast is called Behind the Wheel, are you always behind the wheel? Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. So living in Baltimore, in the inner city, I was present when the Freddie Gray riots occurred. Baltimore was actually the first city in America to come up with a essentially legal way to ban African-Americans' property ownership within white residential areas. Snack Nation is a two-sided marketplace where we introduce artisanal and emerging uh, brands, mainly snack brands, to consumers at key moments where they're most engaged. Hi, I'm Derek, and this is Behind the Wheel, a show dedicated to highlighting the accomplishments of ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things within their communities. Check us out on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcast. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Wheel. I'm your host, Derek Oxley, and today's episode is brought to you by the folks at the Creative Running Collection, an eclectic ensemble of artists from all walks of life and disciplines. I mean, we're talking established to wannabe writers, actors, directors, artists, bloggers, vloggers, videographers, podcasters, journalists, producers, and editors who are passionate about creating content for running and entertainment purposes. Still, but more importantly, they inspire people to pursue a healthy lifestyle by helping them identify their purpose, maximize their potential accelerate their growth and continuing the cycle. In other words, they help people IMAC their life. So, if you've got some hidden talent and you're looking for a safe place to express, own, and display your talent, shoot them an email at the Behind the Wheel Morning Show at gmail.com. If you're an entrepreneur or small business owner or know of an entrepreneur or small business owner looking to advertise in the Behind the Wheel podcast but weren't certain as to whether or not there was a possibility, we have eliminated all the guesswork. It certainly is a reality. Who's this we you're talking about? You know it's just you. I'm not going to go with we. We now have... We going with we? I think we're going to go with we. Let's try. We now have the ability for you to sponsor an episode. How cool is that? Your ad can run pre, mid, or post roll. Simply visit coffee.com forward slash BTW podcast. The details will be in the show notes. That's ko com forward slash BTW podcast. And one of the cool things about coffee.com is it allows supporters of the show to buy me a cup of coffee. You all know I like coffee. That's why I'm all hyped up on this coffee. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Wheel. I'm your host, Derek Oxley, and today we are honored to have a guest. She is from Chicago, spent eight years in Washington, D.C., working under the Obama administration, and she is, (laughs) she took this wild journey to uh, Antarctica. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Give it up for Jen Mason. Hello. Hello, Jen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, I'm so glad that your people were able to coordinate with <laughs> yes. me. I, uh, one day I'm going to be able to say, with my people, and we got it squared away. And it right. won't be a running joke anymore. Right. I know. I know. So, but for those people who are not familiar with you, Jen, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, how you got started on this road to running? Yeah. And they're probably saying, what is that in the background? That's a <laughs> dress form. 
This yes, is this is Tiffany. <laughs> it's Tiffany. Tiffany. She's got her yeah. name. <laughs> so, yeah. So about eight years ago, um, my girlfriend, Karen, was like, oh, Jen, you know, you should run this half marathon with me. And I was like, I don't run. What are you talking about? And she's like, oh, you're an athlete. You know, it's no problem. You should just run this half marathon with me. At the time, I mean, I played tennis since I was about seven or eight. Um, and I was playing pretty regularly, but as you know, there's nothing like being on that pavement. So I thought, okay, you know, she said I'm an athlete. I can do it. No big deal. So I went with her to New York and we ran the Women's More Magazine Half Marathon in Central Park. And if you've ever been there, you know what Central Park's elevation is like. And it is no joke. I got out there and I was like, okay, no big deal. I bought brand new shoes, brand new outfit. I had on three layers of clothing. Mind you, it was like 65 that morning, but Mm. I felt cold. So I had on a tank top, a a cotton t-shirt, a jacket on top of that. I had this rag tied around my head. Like I said, brand new shoes, brand new socks, brand new underwear, the whole nine. I did everything wrong. Mm. When I got finished (laughs) with that three hours and 48 minutes later, Mm-hmm. I just was like, there's no, this doesn't make any sense. These 70 year old women were running past me and people were wait. My whole team was waiting for me. Everybody finished before me. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. What did I do wrong? So I challenged myself to get back out there. Mm-hmm. And the next one that I ran, I think I finished in like 218 or something like that. It was about six or seven months later. Um, but I realized I needed to train and I just didn't realize I didn't respect the distance or the sport. I just thought I could do it. So did and you, did you start training or you just, you just registered for the race? Cause the girlfriend talked you into it. Yep. I registered for the race just because she talked me into it. And I went out and I bought a pair of running shoes from like Marshall's. I saw some socks there that looked great. <laughs> I had I had some biking pants that I would normally wear when I was on the bike. Mm-hmm. And so I wore those and they were thick. They were like winter, fall, winter type pants. And I thought I was going to be okay. I had no idea about this chafing, about, you know, your feet you know, swelling up in the shoe. I had no idea about any of that. And so... Did your friend warn you about any of these things or she just... uh... She encouraged me to get out there and do some training runs, but she didn't tell me about the shoes. She didn't tell me about... She didn't tell me about any of that stuff. She's just like, oh, you know, no no problem. You'll be able to do it. Mm -hmm. So far from the truth. Wow. So I I, I chuckled when you mentioned Marshalls because Marshalls is one of my, like, favorite spots. Oh, Oh, yeah. Once... I wouldn't go there initially if I was just starting out, to, you know, to buy running shoes. But after you know, okay, what you like, right? There's no, there's no telling what you'll find there at Marshalls. Exactly, exactly. And you know, as time went on, they actually started carrying the shoes that I run in. So yeah, I can do that now because I know yeah. what I need. And when new runners ask me. They're like, oh, what shoe would you recommend? I'm like, please go get fitted. Go yeah. get a, a gait assessment. Go do all of this stuff in advance. Do not do what I did. So, <laughs> you know, that's always my advice because it is 
that was a horrible experience that I will never forget for the rest of my life. I was so sore and everything on me hurt for like two weeks. Mm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember my first experience and it, the guys, you know, so it's a, a black guy, white guy, and a Puerto Rican guy standing around in a Home Depot. And it sounds like a joke, but it, there's literally <laughs> this black guy who's me, a, a, a Hispanic guy, and a white guy. Uh-huh. And they're uh-huh. talking about, you know, doing this marathon. Yeah. And so I'm the tallest one there. I'm thinking, well, I could do this. And they're talking about doing it. Like, how hard could this thing be? Right. The male ego is something else, man. I'm like, I could yeah. do this. This is, I could, it's no problem. Yeah. I cropped this woman out of my photos uh, <laughs> to finish <laughs> for like the first three or four years. Because she, there's this white woman, she's got on a, a peach singlet, peach uh-huh. shades. It doesn't mm-hmm. even look like her hair was out of place. Black mm-hmm. tights. And I'm behind her in agony. I was like, yeah, right. I can't. I got to yeah. crop her out. It was, only, yeah. it was only right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how many sad. races have you done um, since that? So, um, so that race was in New York. And, you know, living on the East Coast really allows you to do a lot of traveling in and out of cities. Mm-hmm. So after that, I actually did another race in D.C. And then I ended up doing the Philly half. And then I did, I went to North Carolina and did something down there. And then I went up, um, uh, I think I did like, I did Philly a couple of times. And after a while, I started realizing that I wanted to do the States. So I started traveling because one, I love to travel and I wanted to see the entire country. Um, and so I said, you know what? Everywhere I go, I will just find a race and I'll just run it. Doesn't matter what the distance, I'll just run it. And it took me about five years to do all 50 states. Mm. Um, I ended up moving back to Chicago when I still had about 15 states left. So it became a little challenging because I had to go west and go northwest. Um, but I ended up getting them all done last last year uh, mm. for my 50th birthday. I ended up finishing all 50 states. So mm. that was amazing. So I did all 50 states and D.C. Um, and then I've done some of the, um, the regions and some of the territories. And at that point, I had done 100 half marathons. Wow. So. So, yeah. And so I, you know, I thought this summer I'd be running a lot more, um, mm-hmm. but obviously due to COVID, um, I've literally run maybe six times in the last three months. So I've been oh, pretty sedentary. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I, I try to get out at least once or twice a week, not as much yeah. as I used to. There, there's a trail that's that runs parallel to the house. I used to go yeah. in there, but then as COVID hit, more people were coming out on the trail. I'm like, what are y'all yeah. doing? Why are you, why? right? This was my trail. Not I know. All, all of you all are out. What? I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They closed the Lakefront Trail down here in Chicago mm-hmm. because people were congregating and people were at home. They were bored. So they would yeah. leave out and people who would normally not even go to the Lakefront were now going to the Lakefront and congregating and possibly spreading the COVID virus. So Mm -hmm. they shut it down. And even now you can go to the lakefront, but you either have to be on a bike. You can't park there. 
you have to park your car like two or three blocks away and then walk over, which is a deterrent. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like they're still trying to keep you away. Um, So now I'm on my bike more, um, trying to, you know, run a little bit more. And then I ride my Peloton, my Peloton, my Peloton Mm -hmm. more often now. Um, That's cool. So 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 you're not sedentary, you're just not running. No, yeah. Yes, totally staying active because sitting at a sewing machine all day can be really detrimental to your body because you're just Mm -hmm. sitting and the blood's not flowing. It's just like being on an airplane for hours and not moving around. So I try to run up and down the stairs every so often to, you know, keep it going. Yeah, so I just asked before we get into, because what what got me, uh, it was kind of two things. I know you had the Black Ice Project. uh, Yep. So what was that experience like for you? Wow. I mean, it was amazing. Um, I always kind of dreamt of Antarctica, Um, you know, watched movies, looked in books, looked on the web, and you see all of this and you just can't envision this place that hardly anybody gets to go to. You know, if you go there, it's for a cruise or a specific reason or for work. And so that lowers the number of people who actually can go there so low. And I just kept thinking, you know, one day I just want to go there. I love cold weather. um, And I know that's really odd, but I, I love it. I love to run in the cold. And I just thought, how exciting would it be to go to Antarctica? So a couple of years ago, um, I, well, maybe about three or four years ago, I started um, running wherever I traveled. So it didn't matter. I was in Italy. I, you know, ran a race, um, you know, went with a group to Madrid. I went to, you know, and so I started running all over the world. And so I wanted to start counting my countries that I would go to. And I think mm-hmm. I've done maybe 20 or 25 countries so far. I still have to go back and, and count. But my goal is to do all of the countries at some mm-hmm. point. If, if they all have a race, doesn't matter the distance. That's what I want to do. So when I found out about Antarctica, it was actually um, because of uh, Lisa Davis, and she ran the um, the seven. Continents I think it's called the seven, seven days. Con- yeah, seven continents, seven, seven days. days, and yeah, so yeah. I don't have a desire to do that necessarily, <laughs> but I do I did want to go to Antarctica. So I started doing some research, and mm-hmm. there were about three groups that would take you out there. One was on a ship and I don't do cruises. So I was like, that's out. I need a plane to fly me in and fly me out, period. Um, And as I was doing my research, I was finding out that, um, you know, you there's a chance that you might not be able to go in on a certain day because the weather is so crazy, even though they plan these races in the summer in Antarctica and their summer is somewhere between 20 and 30 degrees, which is perfect for me. I'm like, that's a perfect weather. So, <laughs> um, so we get, we, we fly to um, Chile uh, in South America and we spend a few days there and the race director tells us that we're going to take off the next morning. So we get suited, booted, we get on the bus, we go to the airport and we wait and we wait and they're giving us updates. Like, you know, every hour on the hour and it's not looking good. So at some point we realize this is probably not going to happen today. And this is our biggest fear that we've come all the way here 
only not to be able to get to Antarctica. So the only way you can get to Antarctica by plane is to fly from Chile into Antarctica. So you have to go to Chile. So we sat in the airport for about, I don't know, maybe five or six hours. And finally they said, you're not flying out today. Mm. So we went back to the, got back on the bus, went back to the hotel and basically just kind of, you know, blew off the rest of the day, got something to eat, got some rest, uh, which was ended up being a good thing because I don't think many of us had really packed well for that trip. And so it gave us an opportunity to repack our bags, you know, better plan, kind of get mentally ready for what was going to be upon us the next day. So later that night, the race director said, "Okay, be ready. Be down here. Seven o'clock. We're going to be taking off. So we knew it was happening that day. Like you could just feel that it was going to happen the day before. It kind of was like the energy wasn't really there to go. And so we were still nervous uh, because it was really just about the weather. And if you remember, uh, around that time was when Kobe's helicopter had crashed. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that had happened, uh, there had been a warning that the weather, the visibility wasn't where it should be. And that was the reason that they really shouldn't have flown. So the day we're supposed to fly out, the first day, Mm-hmm. Um, we were told that the visibility was really poor that morning. We were like, hey, you know, we trust this pilot. Mm-hmm. He's been flying for like 25 years. If he says the visibility isn't well enough to fly, he would know better than anybody. So, hey, let's go back home. So the next day, visibility was great. You felt like once we got on the plane, it was about a two and a half hour plane ride there. Mm-hmm. When you were starting to land on the island, King George Island, Antarctica is where we went. It almost looked like the moon. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like when you see the pictures of um, Apollo and, you know, you see these space um, excavation, uh, uh, what do you call them? Um, space walks and all of this. And you mm-hmm. see people landing on the moon, you know, way back when. It almost looked like that because everything was so kind of dry and barren. There were little pockets of snow because, of course, it's summer, so they don't have a lot of snow, but it just looked just dry. And Mm. I was just like, wow. But it was still beautiful at the same time because you see kind of these mountains and you see the blue water. The water was so blue. And I was just like, so excited and the adrenaline was going. I was like, okay, I hope when we land, we don't just land and start running right away because I'm going to need an hour or two just to calm down. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's indeed what happened. Landed, went to the campsite and we had to wait a couple of hours before we could get started. Um, And as you know, um, you may know, but on King George Island, there are research bases from various countries. So you've got the Chilean research base, you've got the Russian research base, you've got the Chinese research base, a few others. And our route was going to take us through all of these research bases. Well, the Chinese did not want us to come down by the research base. So we had to completely change the route. But the reason they didn't want us to come down by the Chinese research base was due to Corona. So they were concerned that maybe someone on that flight could be carrying the virus. So they knew 
way back then. And as you know, during that time, Corona had hit um, uh, Asian countries really heavily. And it wasn't quite with us in America at that point. But they knew and they were like, absolutely not. So instead of running down to the Chinese research base, back up past the Russian research base, we ended up having to run back and forth past the Russian research base and the Chilean research base. So we ended up having to do 10 uphills, which Mm. was excruciating. And I'm not talking about just these little inclines. I'm talking about I can't even remember what the the incline was. I just remember I walked seven of them. Wow. Yeah. And it took me about seven hours to finish. Mm. Uh, but I didn't care because it was done. You know, I had the experience. And the next morning when we woke up, we had a chance to go on a tour. Um, and that was so fulfilling because I was able to see all of the stuff that I had seen on the internet, on okay. Instagram. It was just like so exciting to be right there. It was absolutely one of the most, it was probably second to having worked for the president. Mm-hmm. That was second to, to that. And wow. it was, it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. So now since the uh, the lockdown, yep. um, I started, I didn't know prior to the lockdown, I didn't know that you sold. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've I, had I, my business for years. I did not know that. And I see on the screen, I guess they were able to see the Urban Sewing Society. So when, how did that, tell us about that. Yeah, so I started sewing when I was nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, my great-grandmother taught me to sew. She uh, was very skilled, but she was the only one. My mother sewed, my grandmother sewed, but none of them would let me get on their machine. And <laughs> I would spend every summer down in Orlando. Why with is my that? They just, you know, I think they were just overly protective of their own machine. And they thought, you know, maybe I would sew over my finger or I would break it. And she was just like, you know what? You can sew on my machine. I don't mind. And she let me. So from that point on, I was nonstop. And I was not making doll clothes. I was making clothes for me. So I made a pair of shorts. Then I made a dress. I made a shirt. And I wanted to go to the fabric store every week and buy fabric and buy patterns. And so that's essentially what I did. When I got to high school, Mm -hmm. I took, um, you know, we used to have home ec in high school and I took sewing because I knew I was going to breeze through it. The teacher gave us our assignment on the first day. I went out and got my stuff. I was done by the first week and I was helping the other students in the class. And that's when I kind of realized I'm good at teaching other people how to do this. So I started teaching classes uh, back in 90 about 96, 97. Mm. Um, And I taught classes up until I left and moved to D.C. And then when I moved out to D.C., I started the Sewing Society. Um, And I had classrooms of students learning to sew every single week. And it was such a rewarding experience. So Mm -hmm. by the time I ended up moving back to Chicago, I got back here and I started feeling like something was missing. So I said, you know what? I need to get back into this. So I started designing the blouses and I'll tell you about those a little later. They're actually on the website as well. And um, then I decided that I wanted to get back into teaching classes. So since we've been in lockdown, I started teaching my classes online. 
And I've had students in my class who have started projects from beginning to end and have finished. And I'll be starting my next session of online sewing classes in a couple weeks. And as soon as the city gives clearance for different um, facilities to open up, I'll be able to do my classes in person with 10 or less students. And so hopefully by mid-August, I'll be able to do classes in person. Where will you be holding these classes? The classes will be at the Timothy Community Corporation um, on 43rd and Drexel here in Chicago in the Bronzeville area. Okay. Yeah. So you can, they'll be able to find information on the website as soon as, as soon as we get the go ahead from them, we'll be putting the information up. Mm-hmm. Now, if people wanted to identify you or find you online, um, where would they go to be able to register for your classes and uh, sure, sign up? Sure, sure. And- Sure, you can go to theurbansewingsociety.com and that's where you'll find information on the classes. Uh, The dates that are on there, we're going to have to shift them a little bit because I actually thought I was going to be able to start this week, but they didn't get clearance to open back up. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's where you'll find all my products and information on classes. Okay. So now I thought initially behind us, Behind us, behind you. Yes. I thought that was like Scarf Lady, you know. Oh, no. These <laughs> are, those aren't scarves. No, these are masks. And so I started, what happened, my first sewing class was teaching people how to make their own masks. So I showed them how to measure from the bridge of your nose to the bottom of your chin, from ear to ear, to create the pieces. I did this whole demonstration thinking people would just go get fabric and make their own masks. After I did that online class, people started inboxing me. Can you make me a mask? And I was like, that's not why I did this class. I did it to (laughs) teach you and enable you not be the enabler. Well, one thing led to another. And so now I started designing designing these masks. These are some of my uh, more basic kind of custom uh, cotton masks that I make. Um, I have some African prints, some paw prints, some novelty type fabrics. Uh, But this one here is my biggest seller. This is, um, I don't know if you can see, but it's a pearl covered Mm -hmm. uh, mask. And um, each one of these is placed by hand. Um, and people love these because one, the white ones, yeah, they've been able one. to use for weddings and baptisms and uh, things like that because, um, you know, people still, they're having these gatherings, but they still need to cover up and they want to look stylish. Mm-hmm. So we have these. We also have ones with the rhinestones. Okay. Um, so those are pretty popular. And then I had to, of course, uh, I had to appeal to my running community. So. I um, started making uh, these run buffs for mm-hmm. the running community. So these are, you know, buffs you can wear as a headband, neck scarf, or um, a running buff. And then I'm also doing um, single layer running masks. So these I made for um, the team that I'm on, um, Team FLS 2020. Uh, this is a program that um, teaches you how to run faster, smarter. Uh, Mario Wiggins, who's here in Chicago, he runs this program. And so I made these for the team, but I have these um, for everyone else online. Mm-hmm. And um, 
You can buy them in a lot of different colors, orange, red, Can yellow. you get them custom to, to print whatever you wanted to have on it? Sure. Um, I'm doing a lot of that custom work now. And um, uh, some people want their name. Some people have some cool little nickname that they want on there. So uh, I so, do. So if I wanted to get behind the wheel on my mask. Oh, yeah. I could do Absolutely. that. You could do that. Yeah. You send me your, and then I try to match it as best as I can. And I was trying to see if I had one around here that had somebody's logo on it. I don't think I do, but um, no, I don't have one. Most of those have been shipped out. So I ran a special um, for Juneteenth and uh, took a lot of orders for customization. And a lot of people sent me logos and I did those. So yeah, so if you want that, send me your logo. You know, I put it on there and uh, and you have your own customized mask. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been fun. I mean, you know, it's a lot of work, but it's definitely a, a labor of love. And um, it's something that I could literally do all day long. Mm-hmm. So what are the what are the um, what are your, what's the, the, the price for your what do, what do they start at? I mean, so the mask start at ten dollars um, mm-hmm. and they go all the way up to forty dollars. So it just depends on the mask. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the masks are one hundred percent cotton. Uh, they're usually three or four layers. Uh, you have an option of getting the um, filter pocket. So the filter isn't included, but there's a pocket there where you can put the filter in. So you mm-hmm. can choose that option. Um, and like I said, most of them are 100% cotton. There are few that are not 100% cotton, and those are listed in the description um, because people you know, have a choice, but there are some designs that just do better in a different fabric. But what I do is I put cotton on the back. Mm-hmm. And I put cotton in the middle. So gotcha. this outside fabric may be, you know, some kind of silk or satin or something else. But mm-hmm. on the inside, you've got your cotton. So you still have your barrier and then you have your filter pocket so that if you want to put a filter in there, you have that extra layer. Mm-hmm. Now, do you offer the filter as well? I don't because can you believe I started ordering the filters back in March and Mm -hmm. I still have not received the filter. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to give people filters with the mask, but they haven't come. And then I I ordered some stuff to make filters, still haven't arrived. So it just Mm -hmm. shows you kind of where we are right now. And there's some people that are selling kind of these knockoff filters. They're not the N95 mask, there's some other kind of mask that they, you know, put some other number on. And so I don't want to put those out there. I'd rather go with something that is what it is. Mm-hmm. So um, so I've just stayed away from the filters. And I just tell people, if you've got a filter, you know, you've got your pocket, you can just slide it in here easily. You won't yeah. have any problem. And then some people like to wear the mask over their N95 mask. So if you want to do that, I would size up. And that way, this will completely cover. So this particular one is a size large. So as you mm-hmm. can see, it's too big for me. But if I wanted to wear an N95 mask, I could wear this over it and it would be comfortable. So mm-hmm. I try to make them so that people can wear the mask over the the mask that'll give them, you know, the good protection. Cool. These now, are fashion accessory. <laughs> yeah, I seen, um, I think there was something you had some like designer um, logos. yeah. I don't think I have any left. Um, a friend of mine, oh, I do have one. So a friend of mine 
um, sent me his Gucci shirt Mm -hmm. and he was like, could you please cut my shirt up and make me some mask out of it? So that's what I did. And I have one left, um, you know, from Keep it still so some people could see it because it's... it's, it's, Oh, yeah. So, Uh, and it's cotton on the back um, mm -hmm. and cotton in the middle, but... He was like, please, 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 can you please cut this up? So what I did for his, it's a little different. Um, the sleeve had that kind of red and green, you know, that's um, exclusive to Gucci. Mm-hmm. And so I put that down the center and around the edge and did a little design. But this is what I had left over. And he's like, just take the rest and, you know, sell it or use it for yourself. So, of course, I kept one for myself. And then I have one left over. So, but I did have some designer fabrics. So I did those earlier on, but can't get those fabrics anymore. They're really, really hard to get. Um, but I do have people on my wait list that are waiting for some of the other designer fabrics. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I, I used to sew. I, I took sewing for a different reason. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, it was home mech and I was like, well, I know I, I I was tired of being in the gym. I didn't want to be sweaty. And I knew I knew they were gonna be um it's gonna be a lot of girls in, in the class. So. I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> and it, so yeah, I was like, wow, this this works out well. And then I yeah. ended up loving sewing, you know. I, yeah. I I practiced sewing with um before straight legs came out, you know, we yeah. like these these flips. Oh yeah. So I figured out what the what the uh the cleaners was charging. Yep. My mother had a sewing machine. And so yeah, I was like, oh, I could do this. I'll just get a ruler, tape yep. it down in. And that was my yeah. that was my uh, that was my little side hustle. Yeah. People would drop yeah. off back oh, shopping yeah. bags of, of pants to get them tapered and Yeah. So yeah, that was a that was a big thing. That yeah. was a big, big thing. Yeah. It's an incredible school. Thank you so much for being on the show. I certainly do appreciate it. Tell people where they can go to get the mask again. And, um, Go to theurbansewingsociety.com and you. feel free to send me a message through there or send me an inbox. Um, you can find me on Instagram at the Urban Sewing Society, on Twitter at Sewing Society, on Facebook at the Urban Sewing Society. Thank you so much, Jen. It's been a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Derek. You too. All righty. Bye-bye. All righty. Bye. Bye. <laughs> 